Welcome to the Pet Loss Companion. I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio, and I'm here with my friend and co-author Nancy Saxton Lopez. And this is a program that we do every week on Thursdays from 6 p.m. Eastern to about 6:30. And it's an opportunity to expand the reach of the work that we did that ended up being the book, The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists who lead pet loss groups. We have been leading pet loss groups forever, it seems. Nancy for 30 plus years, me for 14 plus years. And this is an opportunity to share in a little bit of a different way. A lot of what we do is we read letters that we've received from audience members from you. And we really appreciate that because what we know is that people who hear these stories are really moved by them. And oftentimes their, their own life story resonates really strongly mm -hmm. with these stories that we share. So we encourage you to write to us and connect with us. If you'd like to share a story or if you'd like to recommend a topic, or if you'd like to recommend somebody who can be a guest on the show, that all of that is really appreciated. And you can reach me at Ken DDV at gmail.com. You can reach Nancy at nsaxtonlopez at csmpc.com. That's N-S-A-X-T-O-N-L-O-P-E-Z at csmpc.com. When you write to us, we will, one or, one or both of us will write back and you can tell us whether or not it's okay for us to share your story either in part or in whole or with your identity shielded, your location shielded. We are certainly appreciative of your writing to us, whether or not you would like us to share. And so that's your decision entirely. We understand whichever way you want to go with that. We're you fine can, with that. You, you can support our work in a lot of different ways. Venmo, PayPal, monthly subscription. All of this content that I'm sharing in the beginning is, is included in the program description underneath the video cast or the audio replay wherever you may get this program we like you to know also this program is a friend of dakin humane society in springfield massachusetts and you can learn more about dakin at d-a-k-i-n-h-u-m-a-n-e.org one of the programs that dakin sponsors is a monthly cost-free zoom pet loss support group that i facilitate it is usually on the second tuesday of the month it runs 6 p.m to 7 30 p.m Eastern time, and you can find the RSVP link in the program description. The next meeting will be next Tuesday, which is the, the 13th of this month. It is cost-free. I like to really stress that again. Mm -hmm. Also, you can zoom in from anywhere. We have people the world. All, over the, all over the US, all over the English-speaking world, sometimes from places that not everybody perhaps speaks English, but the caller would like to be part of it, and they speak English. So don't hesitate to join if you think it will be useful for you. And also, please consider subscribing on YouTube. If you can subscribe on YouTube, it raises the visibility of the program, makes it easier when other people are searching for resources to be notified that this program exists. So please think about and uh, do the, the subscribing on YouTube if you can, if you think this program is valuable and you'd like to get it into the into the uh, viewing of other people. So I'll stop there and Nancy, you can get us started today. Um, yes, we have a um, 
a story tonight, and it is centered around a veterinary professional. Um, when I did my internship for my veterinary social work certificate, I worked in an ER specialty vet. And the work in ERs and the work with specialty animals that that can die is so overwhelming. Um, They see so many animals a day. And I think in one month, there were 90 euthanasias at this one blue pearl. Wow. Um, So they deal with not only their, their clients as the animals, but they deal with all of the humans that are the pet parents who are involved. And this is such an emotional place, right? Especially when someone's animal is very sick. And what I learned um, when I was going through my, my, uh, my experience, my educational experience in getting a VSW was that veterinarians have a very high rate of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, it peaked around 2000, I guess, 2018, 17, 18, 19, but it's still in the top 10. Wow. Um, one out of six veterinarians has considered suicide. Um, and white male vets, a while, sorry, while male vets are 1.6 times more likely to die by suicide than the general population, female vets are 2.4 times more apt to. Um, and I think at this point, what they're saying in t- uh, from 2022 is 80% of vets are, are women. Wow. So, um, but uh, we, we are so appreciative of this person allowing us to share his story, and, but he obviously act, asked for anonymity, and so we have changed his name, and we have mm-hmm. changed where he has come from. Yeah. And you know what, Nancy, I, I don't think I'm going to show the picture of his dog either, even though okay. he had a very cute dog and he shared the photo. To keep his anim- anonymity, we'll, we will withhold yeah. that. He, he, um, he is a beautiful dog, though. Yeah. So. Um, my name is Gary, and I'm a, li- a listener from Europe. Your podcast has been a comfort, even though it rarely fails to make me cry. And by the way, this is a very hard read. Yeah. So I'm just giving you a trigger. I mean, it, it, just to keep that in mind. I lost my beloved dog, Sammy, a little over six months ago, and I'm having a lot of trouble coping. Sammy was my first dog. I adopted him when he was four months old, and I got to have him with me until he was four years old. He was a beautiful mixed breed with long velvety ears and lovely soulful eyes. He was always very calm and sweet, even as a puppy, and he always wanted to be close and be cuddled and petted. I've struggled with depression for most of my life, and the decision to adopt a dog came at a point where I had had some setbacks. I was in veterinary school and still am, as my depression and other circumstances has made studying difficult for me to the point where a 5.5-year program is now in its ninth year and had just found out that due to failing an exam, I would have to wait a year um, and redo the exam before I could continue. I've always loved animals and always wanted a pet, so in a bid to keep my depression at least from worsening, I decided to apply to adopt a dog. I found a picture of the most adorable little black, white, and brown puppies and applied to adopt one of them. It all went faster than I expected, and soon I was picking up my little dog, who was about four months old at the time. 
As I wasn't studying or working at that time, he had plenty of time to spend with Sammy, and we bonded really quickly. He was so sweet and cuddly, and quickly he became my reason to get up in the morning, even when my depression was making me want to just sleep forever. There were, of course, problems too. Sammy had severe separation anxiety and couldn't be left alone for, alone for long, which became an issue when I returned to school. Constantly trying to find dog sitters for Sammy became a big stressor in my life, and I felt really guilty for all the times I had to leave him by himself or with a new person that he didn't know. I also have a lot of guilt about all the times when I was crippled by my depression and could hardly get out of bed. Sammy loved long walks where he could sniff around and explore, but when I was feeling my worst, I only had energy for a short walk around the park. He would cuddle up to me on the couch or under the covers in bed, which was always such a comfort. And when life and everything in it seemed unbearable, then at least I knew I would be going home to my darling Sammy. I have always worried about what would happen as Sammy grew old, if he would get sick and no longer be the happy, energetic young dog that I knew. I also worried about how I would be able to cope with losing him. My depression goes from bad to worse every few months with suicidal ideation and feelings of hopelessness. When I had Sammy, he was my reason for living. I couldn't kill myself because I couldn't leave him. I've made several attempts at getting help for my depression over the years, which have not necessarily been very successful. About a year ago, I made a sort of a deal with myself that I would make a new attempt. I knew that Sammy's death would devastate me, and that combined with my depression, it would be more than I could handle. And so I decided that I would have, until he died, to try to get well, and if I was still depressed when he died, which at the time I assumed would be at least 10 years into the future, as he was just about to turn four, I also would be allowed to die. This summer, Sammy and I moved into my grandparents' old house. My classes were all finished, and aside from a few exams, I need to retake, and a paper I need to finish, I only had my dissertation left, which was something I didn't need to attend a school campus in order to write. I was also out of money, and in this old house that my mother had inherited, Sammy and I could live right free. The house is an old farmhouse that is quite isolated and felt like the perfect place for Sammy to run around and sniff and play. The only problem with the place itself was that there were a lot of deer and rabbits. It happened a few times that Sammy took off after an animal and would be gone for a long time. One time I went looking for him in my car and found him several kilometers away, covered in mud and out of breath. I tried to work on his recall and periodically had him on uh, a track line during our walks around the property. But the thing was that we both liked him to be able to run around off leash, so I tried to do that and keep a constant eye on him. The day that Sammy died, we went on a midday walk off leash. Everything had gone well until we were almost at the door. Then Sammy spotted an animal in the garden and took off after it. I shouted for him to come back and then got in my car and started looking for him. I had been driving around for a while when I noticed a couple of cars that had pulled over to the side of a road a little further ahead. I think I knew right away what happened and I drove straight to the spot. As soon as I pulled over and saw him, my lovely Sammy, lying dead on the side of the road, and I fell to pieces. I was crying uncontrollably as I loaded him into my car and drove back home. When I got home, I just sat there with him, stroking his head and crying. The only thing I could think to do was to call my mother and tell her what happened. She came and helped me bury Sammy in the garden and then took me with her to her house. The next few days, all I could do was cry. I couldn't eat or sleep, and I just wanted to die. 
I was waiting for my mother to leave the house long enough for me to be able to kill myself, but it never happened. This was the deepest depression I have ever experienced. I didn't want to live without Sammy, and all I could see was his dead body lying by the side of the road. Eventually, I contacted the psychiatric clinic at a local hospital in hopes that they would be willing to prescribe me some sleeping pills so that I could at least sleep. But instead, I ended up being forcibly committed to the psychiatric ward, which was the right thing to do. But instead, oh, the, I spent little over a month there before I was discharged. During that time, I had received ketamine treatment, which is interesting, which had actually made a difference in lifting some of my depression, but couldn't alleviate my grief. Since I was discharged, I have been getting worse again. The effect of the ketamine treatment didn't last long. My depression is not as deep as it was right after Sammy died, but I'm still in so much pain, and I am now in an extended sick leave from my studies because I still can't function. Sammy was my reason for living, and now that he's gone, I can't really see any reason to go on. All my hopes and plans for the future were centered around Sammy, where I would work, where we would live, all the things I wanted us to do together. The world seems so empty and life so pointless without Sammy. I don't know what to do without him, and I don't know if I want to go on living without him. I cry most days. I think about suicide most days. I have trouble falling asleep because I keep thinking of Sammy, missing him, and seeing him dead on the ground, and I just don't know what to do. I'm currently undergoing TMS treatment, but it hasn't had any effect yet. I've been trying to get into therapy since I was discharged, but the medical system here isn't all that functional. So I either encounter people who take me seriously and want to help me, but, but can't, or people who don't take me seriously as though they could help me and they won't. I don't know what to do. Wow. Wow. So first of all, we thank Gary greatly for being so... Honest. generous yes. in sharing this story because it's extreme, extremely vulnerable of him to do yeah. that. And, and he's somebody who, when we corresponded with him, told us that he, he shared it because he imagined that it would help other people and I'm sure it will. And so again, we just have a lot of gratitude to him for sharing. And just a couple of comments I wanted to make. One is that depression is extremely common about mm -hmm. one out of 10 Americans over the age of 18 are diagnosable with depression. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very dangerous in its most extreme form. And we're hearing a description of how very dangerous it is. I mean, people who are profoundly depressed will often talk about having a physical ache in yeah. their gut that is unrelenting and they, they, very, very often, unfortunately, way too often, they are having suicidal thoughts and way too often they act on those thoughts. And so we, we also just are very hopeful that Gary is doing better. Mm -hmm. And we've had some correspondence in which he's, he's doing a little better, it sounds like. Yeah, we, we have talked to him quite a bit. Yeah. We wanted to make sure that he was okay. But, but he's in a really difficult difficult place. And one of the things that, that we've also communicated to him is, you know, the, the kind of challenge that he struggles with is the kind of thing that makes him able to understand other people's pain. Yeah. And that we truly hope that as he feels better, that he will, he will 
use that as a gift in a sense. He'll use the the ability to to empathize because he's been in such pain to to be connected to his his patients and his human right clients. to continue to become a veterinarian and yeah. that piece in him would be so helpful to so many people that come in when their animals need to be euthanized or they've been in an accident or they're terribly terminally ill and he he will get that he he and he understands he understands unfortunately the the tremendous pain of grief yeah. the tremendous pain of sudden loss through an accident so all of these horribly painful and challenging experiences position him the way I see it to be a very effective clinician in the longer term when he's feeling better and when he's done with his studies. And, and I also just wanted to point out, he says something that's really important. He says that the medication helped him with his depression, but not his grief. That's right. And it really, it, he, his words mark the distinction right. between depression and grief. And he understands that difference experientially he's he's been there he's there now that the depression is the unrelenting and chronic emotional pain that he describes and the lack of energy and the and the despair the loss mm -hmm. of hope all of that and the grief is is what's centered around this very tragic loss that he experienced and very often that that's the way it is there's a layering of the pain of grief on top of Maybe it's clinical depression. Maybe sure. it's other things that are some going other on. kind of mental or emotional problem. Yeah, yeah. and and there's one other comment I just want to make is it's really wonderful that we have this story because we need to acknowledge the prevalence of mental health conditions. Yeah. Like one out of five Americans are have some kind of mental health condition. One out of ten are likely to have a depression. Di a diagnosable depression. Depression is, by the way, through a report uh, of the World Health Organization, the leading cause of disability from work worldwide yeah. and for a number of years. And so the more we talk about it, the less it, it, it's just relegated to the shadows and stigmatized. And people who are struggling with depression are struggling with an extreme, can be an extreme form of illness. It's, it's, there's different degrees and levels and different types of depression also. types <laughs> and uh we need to take it very seriously we need to understand that it's not the kind of thing where a person can just quote unquote get out of it up by their bootstraps or yeah just get get over it get past it's not feeling the blues it's very different than that it's a extraordinarily debilitating illness now sometimes too i mean it goes a hand in glove with anxiety yep. and and i do believe that one out of three americans are taking some kind of medication wow. to yeah. deal with not just depression yeah. but anxiety yeah and yeah. we live in a very anxious world right now very very and getting more so it's yes. there's lots of reasons to be anxious absolutely yes exactly so this is a this is a story again about traumatic loss. We've heard a number of them recently, mm -hmm. right? We've heard from people who who go through this, and there is there is so much distress, and there is so much guilt that goes with this, because we want so desperately to be able to protect 
our beloved animal friends from the world and we just can't always we can't protect mm -hmm. them we can't we can't foresee the future we don't know mm -hmm. what's going to happen in the next few moments and it it sounds very much like gary lives in a place where in general it made sense that his little dog he, 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 yeah his dog could, could be off leash, could be right? running around out, off leash and we can't predict we can't predict the, the, the things that may happen the other thing too that I'd like to uh, briefly talk about, or again, is the career of veterinary medicine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there were, you know, there's such an emotional, like I said before, kind of um, environment, right? An ambiance, because especially when you bring your animal to an emergency room. You know, you are scared and upset and fearful. And what happens, of course, is people don't understand that there's a triage system, right? So if there's an animal that comes in that's sicker than right. another, they have to be seen first. Yeah, and yeah. so that was always an issue. Why, you know, a mind's important. Mine, yeah, you know, dogs and cats important too. So that's one issue. The other thing is that, that people would always bring up um, pet parents. Why is it so expensive? This, all they want is money, you know, and, and that's, it's so not the case, but people don't, you know, the insurance, the insurance with animals doesn't work like people insurance, right? When you're, when you and I have something and we go to an ER, we give our, our insurance card, right? We don't see the prices, you know, the, the insurance takes care of it. It still costs a fortune. It does cost a fortune. And, and not as, yes, probably close to about this. about equal. your insurance in the U.S., yeah. That's right. So, but but in animals, you have to pay up front yeah. and then your insurance reimburses. Now, that said, when people would get, oh my God, $4,000, you know, I can't do that. So... The vets would get caught in that. Well, all you want is money and, you know, you're not taking care of my animal, which they take care of so many and they are expected to take care of so many. And they have this, this ongoing thing, right, with, with not only the animals. The animals are the easy part. It's working with the pet parents. It's so hard, right? Yeah, yeah, and, the and I know that I mean, they want their animals to be, be seen. Well, and, and the idea that they're supposed to fix everything and some things are not fixable. Right. And like you said, the trio is, one has to think about how when we go, human beings go to an emergency room, you may have to wait a long time if you're, if you're not the person who's severely injured or having trouble breathing or in some other dire condition. And the same goes for... <laughs> for animals. animals. And, and another thing that I think is just really important to note is that this problem of depression, it affects people across the board. It's like, sure. and, and it doesn't for a moment mean that this person who is not Gary, who is not yet a credentialed veterinarian will be any less effective. In fact, I believe he'll be more effective than yeah, a person who has not gone through this. And so we have to keep this in mind that we don't tend to believe who pe that people who have suffered migraines or back problems or some other considered medical condition are any less effective 
or any less likely to be helpful. And we shouldn't feel the same. We shouldn't, we shouldn't apply that sort of judgment to a person who's had a mental health challenge or lives with a chronic mental health challenge. An illness is an illness. And we are sometimes at our, at our peak health and we are sometimes really encumbered by either a physical challenge or a mental health challenge. And really, to me, they're, they're so intermingled. Of course. So well, you have a lot of core movement, right? That's yeah, called, you know, absolutely. you have the physical issue, but that also could cause depression yeah. or the depression causes yeah. physical illness. Yeah. If you have a muscular skeletal condition, you almost certainly have a depression right. condition as well. If you have a heart condition, right? You pro if you have cancer, you are at great risk for, for having a depression or anxiety issue. I mean, it certainly just makes sense. So so we shouldn't we shouldn't judge people harshly for whatever medical slash emotional condition they might be challenged by. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important because mental health is such a buzzword now, mm -hmm. right? It's all oh we should have we should have all the gun you know the horrible things with guns in the United States and how many people have been killed and but we have to deal with mental health. But mental health is not really dealt with here. It, and well, still stigmatized. Uh -huh. It's hard to get the right care. Many, many people are not insured. Something like 45 million Americans have no health insurance. And many, many people who do have health insurance, it's not usable because they can't pay the copays. Most psychiatrists, the prescribers, the people who prescribe medication, are not, they are not in the insurance network. No. So you have to pay out of network. And that can be absolutely prohibitively expensive. I mean, it can easily be $350 an hour or more yeah, to see more. a psychiatrist. You know, it's interesting. I have a, um, a client of mine um, that is and works in the community mental health, health arena. And when he was hired, the, the expectation would he carry 70 to 80 patients. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it I don't know how you do I remember that. that. I remember that when I worked in a hospital system and I worked in a community-based or organization or school-based agency, it was like there was no limit to what was expected in terms of caseload. And it's very trying work. So, so therapists and all healthcare professionals are very, uh, it's, it's a very good idea to be considering your own mental health and getting whatever. Exactly. All the time because exactly. it's very, very because stressful. People burn out very quickly. Yeah. They could yeah. like what we do, mental health professionals can burn out really quickly in those kind of scenarios. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is what people need. They need people to help them to yep. navigate their life, to make yep. changes yep. in their life to, so that it's better. But, you know, unfortunately, it's still it's still stigmatized here. But so the, the the key overriding message that I take away from from Gary's story Gary. is that we deserve to get the help that will benefit us. And mm -hmm. in fact, we may have to try different kinds of help as he has had to try mm -hmm. to get to a place where we are feeling better. And there is no shame in that. In fact, it's a, it's a great strength to, to seek and to receive 
and to follow through with treatment that will help us with our mental health challenge, whatever it may be, and with our grief. It's a good idea to talk with people, to go to a group, either face-to-face or online, to write about, to do all the things that may help you to feel better and to continue on your healing with uh, the loss that you've suffered. There is never, there is never a, a good argument for not getting help that may be of great, of great use for you. Like there's no, there's, we want to get rid of that whole idea that you should, you should just go it alone or you should pull yourself up and, and, and keep going. We, we deserve help from one another. It's one of the keys to healing through our grief. And, and so uh, this man, Gary sharing with us, it's a, it's a great, it's a great gift. Yes. We really appreciate Gary, you allowing us to do this because I think it's, it's very important for folks out there. Not only has, I mean, uh, Sammy was Gary's soul dog, right? His mm-hmm. little heart dog. He, mm-hmm. he relied on, he was an emotional support animal for him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course he was so connected. His bond was so strong and his grief then, of course, you know, was very, very challenging and difficult for him. And it was complicated by his, his own mental health issues. Yeah. So, you know, and it's important, like Ken said, you need, if, reach out, try. I know sometimes it's hard and people are full, but you can also access online support. You can access, you know, the groups. Um, some groups are in person now again. Some groups are online. Mm-hmm. Um, and and because it's, it's okay that you you'll get some support with this. It's, it's, it's important. Absolutely important. So as we, as we close for this evening, I want to remind you again, if you could to please subscribe on YouTube because it raises the visibility of this program as a supportive resource for people. And Nancy, as always, it's been a pleasure. You are going to be traveling next. I'm going to be traveling next week. So we won't have a program next Thursday we will have one the following Thursday and then I'm going to be away for, I believe two weeks, but we'll, we'll clarify that when we'll we clarify that and we could maybe, you know, have, have something, but not live. So we'll, yeah. we'll Ken and I will yeah. figure that out. We'll figure that out. Yeah. Have a good night, Nancy, and have a good night to all the people who are listening. Take care. Take care.